When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's Film Study with Tim McCusick once again. This is our week six to week seven episode where we're going to break down the week six performance of the Ravens. We're going to talk about the defense today, so I think it's going to be a lot of fun since the Ravens put up 21 points and gave up zero points. And, of course, we'll get into the sacks. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. In fact, life is great tonight. Yeah, I always feel bad for you because you watch these games like eight times. But Don't have to, to watch, feel bad to watch this, this game, you might as well watch it 11 times for each sack. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, before I go to bed, and I, I go to bed about 5 a.m. on Monday morning after I've done a fair amount of analysis and got my article done, but I actually wanted to watch the game just for fun again. You know? <laughs> right. So, it was one of those one of those games. It was it was, and it was exactly what we needed after that loss in Cleveland that of just a boring football game to have something exciting like like the way the defense played was a lot of fun. That's absolutely absolutely otherworldly, and I, I think we need to not lose sight of the fact that we're not going to have another game like this probably for a decade. You mean we're not going to shut out the Saints? Well, 
I mean, I guess it's possible, but but we're not going to have 11 sacks for a long time. That's true. We, 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 they had three times before they had nine sacks. But, you know, it's just games like this, they are special and emergence to be enjoyed at the time and to be enjoyed, you know, five times over the next 10 years. But they, but you won't, uh, we won't get one for another decade. Did, did this thing, game do enough for you to forgive them for the trash in Cleveland? Yes. I mean, I looked at the look back now at the road series that they just had. And so they had they played three games. And I guess ideally it would have been win versus the Browns and win versus the Steelers and loss to the Titans. But then it's also kind of nice to see the Titans out of the picture. And I I don't see the Titans contending for a wild card now, even though the Ravens have a seemingly important wild card. It's a bad division. So I think if the Titans somehow managed to uh, finish nine and seven. I think they're probably looking at a division championship, not at a uh, wild card. Uh, not at a wild card, but it could happen. It still could happen. The Ravens end up nine and seven. The Titans end up nine and seven. And this game means something. Sure. Um, and it, it was strange because the Ravens' defense got those eleven sacks and everything, but they're not getting the turnovers this year. No, you know that that's they lead the league in a bunch of key defensive categories now: yards per game, points per game. By the way, I I can't remember the last time I saw a team leading in points per game by four point four. It might be two thousand. It might be two thousand and six. But they've averaged twelve point eight points allowed per game. This is an offensive league. Now I don't have the league average for points, but I can tell you the number sixteen team in the league, which is in the right in the middle, and the number seventeen team are averaging 24.1 points per game between them. So I think that's probably about the league average, and the Ravens are effectively at about half of that. Well, so, a, a shutout helps with that a lot. Yeah, it's six games. I know a shutout, a three-point game. The, we've, the Ravens have played right. some bad teams. You could, you could heap a lot of things on this, but they are an undeniably emergent, outstanding defense, and we'll see how, how far this uh, – Defense can take them, and and if it can stay healthy, to do it. How how big of a deal is this? No touchdowns in the second half. Um, it's absolutely huge. I mean, the other teams have been trying to catch up for the most part, and the Ravens have been able to keep them out of the end zone. Cincinnati had to try and put the game away with a score, and they couldn't get the get an additional touchdown that would have helped even more. Uh, Ravens shut them down very effectively after they got their green dot helmet moved around. Uh, they've really, if you look at this, and Dev Penchwa made this point, so I don't want to take credit for it, but the Ravens have only played one bad half of football the entire year. They gave up four touchdowns in the first half after Mosley's injury uh, at Cincinnati. Other than that, they've given up a total of four touchdowns in all of the other 5.6 games or whatever it's been wow. because they played that over that overtime period right. as well. So. That's that's unbelievable. It's it's a lot of fun to watch this defense, um, but it is strange to not have the interceptions or, or fumble recoveries. Yeah, you, so they leave... you know they're trying for it. Oh yeah, they're they're trying for it, and 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 it's you know in some ways getting those kind of will mitigate your sack total. So it's it could have been an, easily a game where they intercepted Mariota three times, not because Mariota threw any bad passes, but if he did instead of. Could, could have kept his eyes down the field right. and would have unloaded the ball, he probably would have had some interceptions, and that would have reduced the number of sacks they would have had in the game, I think. So it, it took some discipline on his part to get the Ravens all the sacks that they— Right, to not throw the ball yeah, away. To not throw the ball away, yeah. So, all right, so well, but, yeah, I, I just want to make a couple points here. The Ravens, yeah. so the Ravens are leading in points per game, which is huge. I don't really put a lot of stock in all the yardage totals, but they lead in all of those. 
So they're, they're first in yards per game, I believe. Let's just check that out for a second. Yeah, so first in yards per game by 30, actually by 36 almost. In pass yards per game, they're second by 0.2 behind Jacksonville. And in rush yards per game, they're third by 11 behind the Saints, unbelievably, who are too easy to throw on, so nobody runs against them. Uh, they have 26 sacks, which is four more of the Steelers and seven more than the next closest competitors. And once again, just look at the middle of the league, the number 16 team, and there are two of them, helpfully, have 15 sacks this year. So they've got you know almost twice the sack numbers of the other teams. And, and it's really only in interceptions and fumble recoveries where they only have one that they're just in the middle of the pack. So uh, uh, outstanding defense, third down percentage, huge. Uh, they lead in that. So uh, exceptional, exceptional season so far through six games. Yeah, of course. Um, but let's get down to the 11 sacks because that was that's the story. Okay. Well, sure. Let, I, I, they really the story here was they did it every way they possibly could. So let's take a look at a few of these cross sections in terms of how it happened. Every drive in the game, with one exception, and you mentioned just before in our production meeting, they punted on all nine of their drives, which is only the how many times has that happened in in, in oh, recent history? One other time, right? This was the one, second time. One other time, and I don't remember if that goes back 25 years or exactly how long it is, but it's been a long time since that happened. And they had all but one drive included a sack. And on the one drive that they didn't have a sack, the uh, Titans ran the ball on third and 10. You know, a, a down where they certainly would have been risking a sack. So right. uh, very impressive game from that standpoint. By numbers, probably some of the most strange numbers I've ever seen. When the Ravens rushed five exactly, they did that 11 times, and they sacked the quarterback eight of those 11 times. That's just it's unheard of. Yeah. When they rushed five or more, they had 14 total plays, nine sacks on those. Again, unbelievable that they would have that high a percentage of sacks on any subsection of plays. So that was very impressive. By defensive package, um, they did it every which way. So they have four basic defensive packages they put in the game. They put in the standard defense, and they got one sack with that. They put in a regular nickel, which has uh, uh, you know the normal three cornerbacks and two safeties, and they got three sacks in that package. They put in the big nickel when they put in Chuck Clark for six plays. They got a sack in that. And they put in the dime, 12 snaps of dime this entire game, six sacks. I mean, just, <laughs> it just it goes on and on. Of course, you... You have all these plays to divide up, and it's just fun to see how they how they got lumpy, where they got lumpy. On third down, they allowed minus 19 yards on 10 third down plays. That's minus 1.9 yards per play. Never heard of anything like that happening wow. before. What else do we want to talk about in terms of sacks, Josh? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just keep get, coming back to the fact that the Titans aren't a horrible football team. They won three games before this. Yeah, it's true. And and one of their strengths is supposed to be their two young offensive tackles who are supposed to be two of the best in the game, Taylor Luan and Jack Conklin, who who are both fairly recent first-round draft picks and, and fairly top-of-the-draft draft picks. And yet those guys really didn't come through in this game. Both of them, we got the story from um, uh, Magic Mike, or I'm sorry, that's not Magic Mike, that's wrong, Mike Miracles, 
uh, last week in the in the preview for the Titans game, and he he made the point that this is the first time these guys are together the whole season, and uh, and they did not get it done, but but they had other problems on the inside as well. Uh, it wasn't all Luan, and um, uh, it wasn't all that the, the the tackles that had happened, but. Boy, the Ravens got it done. A number of elements of deception were involved. I, I did want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that, you know, we, some stunts. Yeah, so so stunts are, are a normal thing. They did they did three stunts, not an exceptional number, but you know there were only twenty six pass plays in the game. They did not actually generate a stack off a stunt in this game, which was one of the few ways they didn't get one. They had blitzes and they had some really good blitz action that led to sacks, particularly from the secondary. And also from linebacker, where they got three sacks out of the inside linebackers, Owasu and Kenny Young, in addition to some setup uh, from Kenny Young on another sack. So that that worked out very well. I, I want to talk about the blitzes a little bit because they're doing a delayed blitz, or they tried a delayed blitz in this game, and that led directly to one sack, and it looked effective on another uh, where Young came late. So... There's two ways you can you can delay your blitz. You can you can purely delay it, which they did on one sack, and that was the one where Judon uh, deked the right tackle into blocking inside. So Conklin blocked inside, and then he came, beat Conklin cleanly to the outside, forced Mariota up into the pocket, and then Peanut Owasu, who was the other guy who came on a delayed blitz on the same play. He ran right into his arms. Marietta ran right into his arms for the sack. So beautiful that the delayed blitzes are looking that way. So that's a pure delay. And then the other way you, you can delay your blitz is something called a green dog. And the difference is a red dog and a green dog. A red dog is a blitz where you come and that's your assignment from the start of the play. It's never a doubt whether you'll blitz on the play. A green dog, you look in to see if you're assigned uh, player is going out for a pass or not. So you have an eligible receiver you're responsible for. If he starts to block on the play, you act as an extra pass rusher and you're free to rush the quarterback. So they had green dogs in this game that were effective as well. And uh, and Wasu had, uh, had a second sack that looked like a green dog to me. So very effective uh, with those as well. And it's great to see a new element of deception folded into this game plan for uh, Martindale, and, and perhaps it's even something that's that's within the players' purview to take responsibility for themselves. But I imagine they're doing some practicing of it as well. Just right. very interesting to see that. It wasn't even in what I chart before, but it's going to be there now. Right. Um, and then what was – was it just a straight delay, what, uh, what they showed Young doing, where he would act like he was going, then back off, and then once the lineman relaxes a second, he runs in? Yeah, that, that's a delay. Uh, it, it could you could you could also call it pre-snap movement, where he's trying to fool fool the other team. Most most pre-snap movement, you're trying to fool the other team into believing you're coming, and then you're not coming. Right. But in those cases, you know, Young was forward, back, forward, and I agree. That's it's kind of like a double move in the in the uh, a receiver making on a cornerback. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. It very was, effective. Yeah, it worked great. It was. It was, all right, never mind, you're not coming, you're just fooling with me to suddenly you're coming and it's too late. There you go. Um, all right, how about your boy, T-Sizzle? Uh, you know, Suggs had a, had a really good game in terms of, of pass rush contributions, even though he, he only got one sack himself. But there was a common theme running through these. But before I get to that, I want to point to the very first sack of the game where they ran a naked bootleg. It's a play Suggs sees all the time in practice because the Ravens probably run it twice per game where they 
pretend they're zone blocking on a play that's run left, and then they run a naked boot to the right. Well, the key on on such a play is to make sure if you're the backside defender, you're not fooled on the play, that you get the proper depth with the quarterback, and they're able to impact him quickly if he takes off to the backside or boots to the backside. So Suggs was right there, and unfortunately, Mariota slipped out of his grasp, but it was enough of a delay that Chris Wormley got to him immediately thereafter, and Wormley actually recorded his first career sack on that play, and that was the the, the first of a long afternoon for Marcus Mariota uh, of sacks. Suggs would later get a similar sack as the second man in, I'll call it, and that was the regular theme that kept coming up, is that there were a lot of move and chase sacks, I'll call it, where the secondary player got the sack after Mariota was moved off the spot by the first pressure. And there was just a great deal of that. And, and Suggs got home later uh, on such a thing. Judon got home later on one created by Kenny Young. And there were really about seven of the 11 sacks where it wasn't the initial pressure. It was very little, you know, quick hitting, immediately to the quarterback uh, kind of sacks. They did have a couple of those. Uh, they did have a free run from Owasu for one of the sacks, but it, it really was more of of somebody got to the got to Mariota, created pressure that got him off the spot and got his eyes off to, from down the field, and then somebody else caught up and, and and made the sack. So these move and chase, very much a team effort. And you know who you can toss into that is the secondary, because the secondary really denied Marcus Mariota good first looks for a receiver. So they drop to these zone coverages or they're playing man-to-man, whatever the case is, they didn't give Mariota good first reads. And by the time he was to his second read or his third, it was too late. There was already somebody on him. He was moving. His eyes had to come back into the pocket or he tucked the football. And then he got, he got, uh, he was on the ground fairly quickly after that. So outstanding game uh, in, in terms of the sack. Mariota certainly was shell-shocked by the, by the end of it and, and really unable to do much at all. I, I thought a lot, the last three sacks in particular, Mariota didn't even look like he was interested in finding a receiver. He probably should have had no route called other than maybe a slant pass or a screen pass where he was automatically dumping the ball off quickly because he just had no idea and no interest in trying to find a, a, a second read down the field if his first guy wasn't open. So anyway, interesting Interesting to watch. Fun that it's not our quarterback, and uh, and we will not get one of these for a long time. Right. This is that one of those games going into it where I was questioning uh, how effective our defense would be because Dean Pease is over on the other side. How much do you think this team wanted to show off in front of Dean Pease? Yeah, real good point. So obviously there's there's a lot of players on both sides who want to show up their their other team. So Dean Pease, Camelot Correa was in this game, and and he he uh, played a fair number of snaps. Kendrick Lewis was on the back end in this game, you know, with the kind of disdain he had in Baltimore right. for his for his play here. So it, it, there were there were several players that that uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, you know, felt that way, and that included all eleven of the Ravens having played for Dean Pease and now really yeah. liking what they get at a Martindale. You, there, there was some footage circulated on Twitter that was pretty clear how much the players just really love playing for Martindale at the end of this game. There, it was just a big congratulating, group-huggy kind of moment after a game like this to see 
everything goes so right and you know the players feel like they're part of the plan obviously and and it's just it's a better situation i would say the peas situation was really poisonous i just don't think it was as positive as it could have been and you know dean left baltimore with frankly his best year as a defensive coordinator in 2017 but i think that martindale brings a fresh approach that is just really uh you know heated up the coffee here in terms of uh of making it uh palatable again right it's obviously clicking here and yeah if the defense isn't happy with yesterday's performance they'll never be happy because that's true you you never get things that go your way like yesterday did there you go um we talk a lot about uh rest and rotation and how the ravens depth really is the secret weapon of their defense how did that progress in yesterday's game yeah well i mean first of all they, they had their corners largely back in this game. They still don't have Anthony Averett back. Still don't have Maurice Kennedy back. They may be coming back later in the year. Um, but Jimmy Smith was back. Tavon Young was back, even though he might have been playing through a little bit of injury. They had Humphrey and they had Carr, and they all got snaps. And in fact, statistical oddity here, start with the fact the Ravens only played 40 defensive snaps, excluding penalties. The Ravens have only played one game in their history with fewer defensive snaps, and that was the 2010 AFC wildcard game at Kansas City. So they played 39 in that in that game. It takes a really special effort. It takes a good ball control offense with some long drives, which the Ravens certainly have, going 12 right. for 17 on third down. And it takes a defense that is constantly knocking the other team off the field. So they had both in this game, and they and they held the Titans to 40 snaps, which is just I, I doubt there will be a lower snap total this year with the increased snap totals across the league with the higher reliance on the passing game. So okay. uh, my guess, I think that'll be number one. Now, the subplot of that is that no Ravens cornerback in this game played over 29 snaps. Now, I'm going to make you a bet, although I doubt anybody really has the time to check this. There are there are There's one guy online I can think of who might be able to do it, but that no winning team maybe at least maybe since the merger has played a game and won where no corner had more than 29 snaps because what that means is you have to do some rotation at corner or you have to have injuries at corner if you have injuries you probably lose if you have rotation at corner maybe you can get it done but you probably are not as effective and, right. and somebody ends up over, and somebody gets over 30 snaps in in those in those uh, circumstances so i think it's very unlikely that it's happened before but uh, Carr led the team with 29 snaps. It's 32 when you include the penalties, but 29 as I count them. So I don't think anybody has has uh, has been at that level and uh, and won a game in recent memory. Yeah, it's a, it's an unbelievable game. Um, and you mentioned that the the secondary was a key to this setting up for these sacks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it bears mention again is that is that they really denied Mariota easy looks down the field. They were lined up well. They had one uh, play the announcer specifically looked at where the Ravens had really dropped in and every vector is covered, meaning, you know, the line of sight between the quarterback and that receiver has an over guy and an underneath guy. And it just didn't it didn't allow Mariota to hit on those first looks. And by the time he had a second or third look, it was too late. Um, the Ravens did it, such a good job of getting someone there somehow first to move him, and then it was just a matter of you know chasing the guy down. It was just fun. That's when 
that's when the hunting really is, you know, a bunch of dogs, a bunch of horses against one poor fox kind of thing. Right. Now, you said that the defensive line, no one had more than 22 snaps. There were only That's 40, right. so they're barely playing half, a little more than half the game. Yeah, so basically everybody played about a half of football in this game. Willie Henry led the team with 22 snaps, and, and after that, it drops down to, let's see, who is next, with 17 snaps, uh, Brent Urban. So, and then you had 14 from Pierce, 13 from Williams and Wormley. So really even in terms of, of the thing. By the way, 22 rush, Russian pass snaps for Henry, total of minus four yards on his plays during this game. All right, so a whole bunch of A's on your, on your list, I'm guessing. Yeah, but, uh, definitely a lot of, lot of good uh, graded players. I don't give letter grades, but you know, you've got yeah. the general conception, yes. right? Yeah. Um, uh, all right, now in the uh, for linebackers, Mosley was out there the whole game. Yeah, Mosley was. He played. He played the whole forty snaps, and he's still not wearing the green dot helmet. They still got that with Weddle, uh, which I think makes sense. You know, as long as the team is winning, perform, really just performing well defensively, which they've continued to do. I don't think there's a reason to change back. Uh, one of the things by depending on Mosley so much, they could certainly change if they had to on the fly, but it might be a little bit more difficult to do so if they had to had to do it at a point where they were not expecting to so i think it's easier to just leave weddle with the helmet i'm sure they've got a reserve helmet out there for mosley in case anything happens to eric but uh yeah he's he's gonna have it and i i don't see i don't see them making a change back at this point i, I do want to go back to the interior defensive line for a second because i want to make this point Obviously, we've, we've already said that they're not going to have this kind of a sack game again uh, for a while. And right. Drew Brees is not going to allow, you know, <laughs> yeah, 10, that's 10 a or 11 sacks. Different game. Different game. The ball is going to be out much quicker. The receivers are better at getting open. He's better at keeping his eyes downfield. All of those things are, are going to be better. Um, and, and the key for this next game is going to be those guys in the center who are now very well rested making sure they can get their hands up and keep them up in Drew Brees' face. He has a, he, he can be uh, hurt when his amount of vertical challenge is accentuated. So get up in his face, and the fact that he's short definitely makes it difficult for him to complete passes. You can knock down passes, and, and there are ways to stop him. I think the Ravens have the secondary that, that can – you know, get Breeze moving. They won't be as effective as getting sacks after they make a move, but but that's a start. And uh, and he likes to play under the perfect dome conditions, and hopefully he won't have those coming in Baltimore this week. And if that means another rain game, I'm all for bringing a poncho again. Hey, uh, Joe seems to do really well in these rain games. Even yesterday, got some rain out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you, we talked about Mosley a little bit. Uh, what about Peanut and Young? Oh, okay. So they both had great games, and they split the time. So Owasu had a really limited outing here, but he had in 13 snaps, and that doesn't include penalties. I believe he gets up to 16 when you include penalties. Uh, but he had two sacks, so we know that, and and he also had two other plays where he got run stuffs for one and three yards. That is a hell of a lot of production for 13 snaps. So. A great game from Peanut, and really nice to see him uh, do well. I, I would like for the you know kind of the competition part to be over, but as long as they're both playing well, there's no reason to have a winner between Kenny Young and Owasu. Uh, Kenny Young also played very well. He he had a part in two sacks. One he chased down himself, uh, really more of an individual effort, 
and another one where he created the opportunity for Matthew Judon to 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 uh, get the cleanup sack. So uh, great job by by both of them. And a game like this, you just say, let's keep doing this for a while longer, where you split the snaps. Yeah, and a while longer. That isn't that the question with Zadarius Smith? Yeah. So with Zadarius Smith, obviously we're now at an uncomfortable point because a lot of people came into the season and said, Zadarius Smith is a fourth year player and he'll be gone after this year. And hopefully he has as big a season as possible. And then we get a third round or fourth round draft pick for him and probably a four and, and maybe it'll only be a five. But now it looks like Zadarius Smith could be one of the really big names in free agency come this offseason. Right, the guy we don't want to give up. The guy we don't want to give up. And, and the way he's playing, he plays inside, he plays outside. He very much resembles in play style and in results what Pernell McPhee was doing for this team. He's a little more speed. Pernell McPhee had a thunderous first step to beat and exploit double teams. So you, you, you could run all kinds of blitzes and stunts around him. Uh, and, and his first step was, was huge. But make no mistake, Pernell McPhee completely drove that 2014 pass rush which generated 56 snacks. He created all kinds of individual opportunities for Suggs and Doomerville on the edge. He created uh, opportunities on the inside. If you go back to 2006, when they had 60 sacks, they did it with another great interior pass rusher being the real key, and that was Trevor Price. So I, I think it behooves the Ravens to try and hold on to a great player like this, and it may, it may come a decision on, on whether or not Zadarius and Mosley are two players they can they can afford, but they've got big decisions coming up in the next couple of years on a lot of contracts. And so Zadarius Smith goes to free agency this year. Brent Urban will be another one who goes to free agency this year. We they have uh, C.J. Mosley going to free agency this year, and it may literally come down to Smith or Mosley. They may have to decide if if they think Young is ready to take over at the Mike linebacker spot next year. But then it gets worse next year because next year it's Tavon Young. Willie Henry, Matthew Judon, and Michael Pierce. So, uh, you know, a great lineup of players who will be a year more experienced and may be better by then as well, you know, such that they've ascended in their contract year to be players that are just thought of as unlosable. So a bunch of difficult decisions coming up for DaCosta. And there are some cuts and some, you know, a possible retirement from Suggs. You know, it's possible Flacco will be gone that will create some additional cap room. But generally speaking, uh, these are going to be some very difficult cuts, and they're going to have to decide how much they're willing to spend on defense to keep it at an elite level. Right, right. The advantage of years like this year is that you don't have many stars out there on the defense. But every game that they play like this, you get more and more stars. They become oh, more well-known uh, outside the organization. Yeah, there, there you go. And I think I think that's always just been true with the players who the Ravens would have liked to have made cornerstones. And, and, you know, McPhee falls into that category. The other guy who, who fell in that category was Adelis Thomas. Is they, they uh, you know, once Bart right. Scott probably falls in the same category. Just other teams realized that they needed him so much that they're willing to even overpay for all three of those guys. And, uh, and they did. And, yeah. and the Ravens had to let him go. Right, right. And that's always been a thing with the Ravens' reputation on the defensive side of the ball means that when you leave Baltimore, you get a little pay increase. There you go. Um, all right, I want to get to the MVPs. Uh, just wanted to make sure you didn't have anything else to say about Terrell Suggs. Give you the one more opportunity before we get to the MVP. No, I, I think we hit enough on his play. I mean, right. just his savvy showed up again in the game. Just I, I love him as a player. I, I I hope he retires in a Ravens uniform. 
Uh, just looking at the contracts that are coming due, it looks like it's going to be very difficult for that to be true, but I would love for him to retire a Raven. And if it may have to happen artificially where he goes to Seattle and he plays for two years or some such like that, and then he comes back to Baltimore on a one-day contract. But whatever the case, I certainly hope he retires a Raven. You think he's got that much more in him that whole he can play once he's done in Baltimore? Well, he's, he's done after this year. Right. So You think uh, he's got another two two years in him? We were talking last year about him retiring. I know, I know. But the, the problem last year was he was injured. So if he doesn't suffer an injury this year that's significant and, and, and he wants to he, – he doesn't have a rehab situation that he's working on, I think the answer is probably yes. I think I think Suggs will not go quietly into this good night. I don't think he's that kind of a player. So I think if he thinks he can go another year, he'll go another year. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I, I would hate to see him on a, wearing a different color than purple. Yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe the one exception is if, if the Ravens won the Super Bowl this year with Suggs as, you know, the centerpiece, yeah, obviously. Then, then you go out. Then maybe you can go out, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I think so. Uh, the problem is if you get really close and don't win it, you think you can do it one more year. Sure. Um, sure. All right, let's get to MVPs. Okay, so I'll start with number three for me. Uh, is Patrick Owasu. Great game. Uh, boy, hard to, hard to really – pick from this group here uh everybody contributed to that incredible pass rush but owasu had other contributions as well and i just i I, for 13 snaps his play was just outstanding right and i'm giving it to weddle because as you mentioned earlier he's been wearing that green helmet and it has been working and however he's communicating out there it's working and keep it going I can't argue with that one. Weddle didn't make my highlights in any way, but in some ways that's good because the back end played incredibly, and I, I couldn't agree. Along the same lines, I'm giving my number two to Tony Jefferson. Uh, made plays at the line of scrimmage, had a sack in the game, uh, seemed to be around the football very regularly, and he and he didn't miss tackles that I noted in this game. So uh, a real positive, and another guy who is the leader of the defense. I mean, Weddle will be gone at some point, whether it's after this year or after next year. I don't think he'll be extended, and he's another. He's a player who I don't think I have a problem with Tony Jefferson taking over as a defensive signal caller at that point, or mostly if he's still here. But but I won't have a problem thinking, oh, you know, my goodness, where are the Ravens going to be without without Weddle? I think Tony Jefferson can do it. All right, uh, my number two is Marcus Mariota for holding on to that ball long <laughs> enough for us to get eleven sacks. That's a really good one, <laughs> boy. Can't argue there. I'll just go to number one here. Zadaria Smith, absolutely dominant on the field. Three sacks, now has five and a half for the season. Uh, He had five tackles in total, uh, played the edge well, was a monster on the inside on passing downs, and just going to be heart, you know, going to be heartbreaking if he leaves. But, uh, you know, that's the NFL. You lose some awfully good players if you consistently draft good ones. Right, of course. Uh, my number one is uh, Martindale. I don't know. Every episode, I'm praising his play calling. But again, every week, he surprises me with something new. Yep, good selection. And, and you know, we saw scheme changes here. And this delayed blitz thing is something that the Ravens hadn't really, you know, pulled out of the closet so far this year. It'd be interesting to see what they do that the rest of the year after it's been so effective. And I'd really like to like to understand where that's coming from, whether that's a Martindale scheme thing or whether it's the Ravens' individual players like tossing that little wrinkle in themselves. Right, right. Of course. I'm, I, I gotta imagine they're practicing it. 
So now we get to uh, Film Study Mailbag. This is where we ask you to get your questions in on Twitter using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag. But if you don't use Twitter, you can also get them in over on the forum on Russell Street Report. You can comment on the Film Study articles on Russell Street Report. You can email in your questions. However you get your questions to us, we'll bring them up on Film Study Mailbag. So Ken, first question I got for you is... Uh, can you, it's actually a comment. Can you comment on the Titans becoming the second team in NFL history to punt on every single drive? Uh, other than it's fantastic, I'm not sure that I really can comment further. It's it's a very difficult um, achievement <laughs> to, to, to get because, uh, you know, it's, it's <laughs> I'm thinking of you know, steam achievements now, but uh, it, you have to punt on every drive usually if you get to a certain point in the game you have turnovers or you go for it and lose it on downs or the old uh familiar one you you lose the ball at the end of the half or the end of the game because you have it and it's very unusual to to go through a whole game and not have any opportunity to not punt but somehow that happened in this particular game to the titans and you know as you mentioned it's only happened once otherwise in the last 25 years right and that's that's the, the only comment about it is it's pretty amazing Mm-hmm. All right, um, next one up. I'm curious with what we are seeing with Weddle now calling plays for the defense. It appeared that in the third quarter, Mariota read a blitz from Weddle, and Weddle audible to send Jefferson in on the blitz instead. Are we seeing more of an active defense in terms of adjusting because of Weddle now in charge, or is this a product of Mart- Martindale's defense? I, I, th- I think there may be some responsibility on field that they're allowed to switch around. And I'm not going to say that never existed before. It probably did. And it certainly did in the days that Ray and Ed Reed were around because Ed could do whatever the hell he wanted on the back end. And, and, and he even talked about, he was supposed to be sent on the blitz on the fourth and five play in the Super Bowl and decided not to go and cover Crabtree instead. So some of that, I kind of, kind of ascribed to Ed Reed, but I really believe in that particular case, it's probably truth. And it's just a, it's just an oddball thing. But I think right now under Martindale, there is more flexibility to decide your own movements and be accountable in, in ways that you see fit as opposed to by a prescribed play call. And it would not surprise me at all if Jefferson and Weddle with how close they are, did not alternate a, uh, a a blitz responsibility on that play. Did not swap out a blitz responsibility. All right. Um, we've got quite the theme of a lot of people sending in the same question. So you may hear your question as you're listening at home, and it will be worded differently because many people send in the same question. Uh, here's one that's coming up often. In your opinion, should the Ravens re-sign Zedaria Smith or Mosley? Which one's right. more valuable? Well, boy, that's a real hard question right now. Um, Mosley has not played at the same kind of level since the injury. Uh, he had a little part in one of the sacks uh, with the primary pressure uh, in this game, but but honestly, he hasn't done that much. Didn't show up much in the Cleveland game at all. Had, had really a pretty poor game. Uh, so I'm at this point, you know, a, a pass rusher on the inside is just worth so much in the NFL. I would really be inclined to say they need to probably take a chance on Zadarius Smith and possibly let Mosley walk. But the numbers will decide this. If Mosley wants $15 million a year, he may have to walk. And if Zadarius Smith also wants $15 million a year, he may have to walk also. So the Ravens okay. may not be able to afford either of them. But if they're if it's one or the other, then uh, and they're and they're similarly priced at say $12 million, 
then I would I might say Zadarius Smith. All right, that's uh, that's not something you would have said last year. No, it's yeah. not, and it might be something I wouldn't say in four weeks from now. So right. you know, if, obviously, an, any injury would have to be factored in by the end of the year, I, and and it, you know, a difference in play certainly would have to be factored in as well. But right now, Zadarius Smith is driving that pass rush, and that's a hell of a valuable asset. All right, uh, next question up: the strip sack at seven fifty in Q two. Could Mariota have run there? They blew it dead. Was he touched? Okay, so the quarterback can declare himself down as he does with a slide or whatever. Right. So Mariota probably did something that indicated to the official that he was down. And so the officials declared him down on the play rather than rather than risk an injury. That, that, that's how I saw it. He grabbed the ball yeah. and kind of rolled up like a baby. So <laughs> okay. I, I assumed, all right, yeah, he's just giving himself up right there. Yeah. That would do it. All right. Um, with 11 sacks in this game and no rough in the passer calls, are the Ravens teaching something different that the other teams are not? Well, it's it's they. I was very impressed that they got through that without a single rough in the passer. And by the way, the funny thing about this is Jack Clonk on the right tackle got the only unnecessary roughness call in the game after he also held on right. the play. So. It's funny to see that happen. But anyway, yes, it's, it's a good game of good restraint on the tackles themselves. I thought the closest to a roughly the passer was probably on the 11th sack when Zedarius Smith kind of twirled Mariota to the ground very hard. Uh, but, you know, it uh, there wasn't really a, a individual case where I thought anything was truly dirty in this game, so I'm glad they didn't call it badly. All right. Um, what is the main difference between Wink and P's scheme? Well, we talked about a lot of things, but but in terms of, of pass rush schemes, we see more reliance on blitzers from off the line of scrimmage. They're actually very similar in terms of the number of stunts run and the number of two-man drops from the line of scrimmage. So P's like to run a lot of that fake double-A gap blitz look and then drop two guys from the line of scrimmage. That was a lot of it. I think that had become a little stale and predictable. Um Martindale plays more different packages than Pease played. And so I'll give you a few examples that have already shown up this year. He's played two different race car packages, as we call it, that one with five outside linebackers on the field where he got sack, interception, sack in the first game for three plays, one with four outside linebackers and a quarter on the field, something I don't think Pease played basically the whole time he was here other than in Hail Mary situations. So, yeah, that – was a you know a, a difference in in package. Uh, he's played this big nickel more than Pease ever played it. Although Pease did play it a little bit in 2016, he's played this uh, three defensive line, one inside linebacker nickel. What I'm calling jumbo nickel right now. That wasn't part of the Pease playbook. We never saw that in all of Pease years here. So there've been a number of different packages that that Pease has brought. Obviously, more aggression to the pass rush. We would we would point to. I don't think too much of it is really in the form of numbers. There's there's a little bit of additional numbers. We saw a little bit of this in the Tennessee game because I think it was successful. But Pease rushed some numbers. He he just was a fan of dialing up pressure to the minimum level necessary to to create problems for the quarterback. And I think the advantage of that was oftentimes the Ravens didn't get home but it generated a few more turnovers on the back end. The quarterback would make mistakes in the Star Wars trash compactor of a pocket that he was facing. 
So anyway, I, both had their advantages. Pease had a really good year last year as a defensive coordinator, so don't throw it all on him. I think it's just a new scheme, a new attitude. The players really like having more control over their own responsibilities, and, and, and that's a positive. Dean Pease just doesn't deserve to be thrown under the bus for everything. Oh, one more thing I will throw Dean Pease under the bus for, though, is Dean Pease was very, very slow to adapt to the dime defense. Didn't do it until his fifth season in Baltimore, and then only out of injuries that forced it to occur uh, when he went to Levine for the first thing. And then we found that, hey, we had a great player sitting here. And the point of fact is that while Levine is great, a lot of times your next best safety who's on the bench will, will be a better cover guy than your second inside linebacker anyway. And that's where fundamentally I just disagree with the way Dean, Dean ran the defense. So uh, – that's my only my only real beef about it. But otherwise, I'd say that that uh, scheme wise, they're not entirely dissimilar, you know, in in uh, every way. All right, I was waiting for you to bring up the dime. I I, I knew you were going <laughs> to get that in. Uh, Jacob's doing another comparison. He wants to know how well does this defense compare to the, to the two thousand defense? You know, the, um, the team you always think of for the Ravens defense. Right. I, I'm just going to say they are, they're definitely not as good as that 2000 defense. That 2000 defense was beyond special in terms of their ability to pitch a shutout pretty much whenever they, they uh, had the inkling to do it. Um, you know, if you look at the stars on that team, they were incredible in, individually. I don't think we'll, in 10 years, we'll look at the stars from this team and really say they were as great. Maybe we will. Maybe these second and third year defenders – you know, maybe Tavon Young's going to be the best slot corner in the game for the next six years. And maybe Darius Smith is the great, greatest inside pass rush instigator the game is known for a decade. You know, we, it could be. But I don't think it's going to be the same way. I don't think there's going to be anybody at the level of uh, Ray Lewis and Rod Woodson or even Tony Siragusa as a uh, run-stopping DT. I mean, I just think, we, you know, there's a, there's a group of players that were at a different level. To have two cornerbacks on the outside that was great as – McAllister and Starks. Well, the Ravens are probably pretty close to that right now, but maybe they're not quite there because of all the injuries and some of the rotation they have to do. And um, you know, there's certainly I, you can make points of comparison. I just don't think when you put all the pieces together, they really quite add up to what the Ravens had in 2000. Right. I'm not going to make the comparison six games in. Ask me in another ten. Uh, you can ask me another 10, and I'll give you my best answer then. But right. I don't mind answering now, and I, I just don't think they're as good. I don't think the, the evidence is there, e- even looking at these six games, sure. to see they're as good as the, the team then. Yeah, and time's different. The the, the sport it changes over 18 years. So there's always that to, to take into account as well. Yeah, you know, that's a good point, Josh. And maybe we, we should look at it more positively for this team in that respect, is that this team has a, has a chance, because offense is up in the league so much, to stand out in bold relief to a greater degree than that 2000 team did. So if if overall point scoring is higher, and this team can maintain you know a fraction of the relative point scoring that is lower, then you really got to consider, you know, is it is it the 2000 defense again, or is it close? But we have heard that question too many times as Ravens fans. Yes. Like literally every year since 2000. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you, you play a good defensive game, you get the question. There you go. So, all right, Sarah and others are looking forward to uh, Sunday and wants to know how will Wink counter the Saints run game? Okay, well, great question, Sarah, and I, I appreciate you getting this in. Um, so, so for starters, the, the, the Saints offer – that very difficult to deal with combination of a great running back in Kamara 
and Ingram a power back uh, to, to go with good receivers and obviously a great passing game. What the what the Saints most often like to do is run into the nickel directly. So they let Kamara make plays. They go without a fullback, so that would give you that extra guy at the point of point of attack. But it also spreads out the field more and gives Kamara more space to exploit. So that will be the big test and to see what the Ravens can do to adapt to that and how their big uh, defensive linemen uh, can deal with that, specifically Pierce and Brandon Williams. Uh, Urban needs to play a big role as well. Uh, will be interesting to see. And I think the one lever that Pease has to try and stop that is the jumbo nickel. So we, we may see some of that where he puts a third defensive lineman on the field. The Ravens try and play with only one inside linebacker with just Mosley, and they go with the standard nickel. And in that case, a lot of pressure is put on Jefferson to act effectively as the second inside linebacker and help with run stopping. But uh, he could be up to the task, and that would be the way they, they'd counter it if they really needed to. Uh, if they were getting beat badly on the run and they really couldn't afford to drop out of the nickel uh, because they – you know, the, the, the Saints will have three receivers on the field, I assume, the entire game. Right. I mean, this is a much uh, harder team. They're coming in 4-1. and one. They put up 33 points yesterday, this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's different than the Tennessee Titans. There you go. So they've averaged 36 points a game, I believe, this year. And this is a team that you definitely want to uh, have some bad weather, more than you need the Bills to have bad weather, more yes. than you need the Titans to have bad weather. It would be really nice if they had a rainy game for Drew Bees. But Brees has been very susceptible to outdoors, period, during his career. And if you look at a lot of the really the games the Saints have flubbed up, particularly late in the season, has often been bad weather. And uh, and they're lucky, in a sense, to play in the NFC South, which has an indoor arena in Atlanta and, and had or had for many years at least, and then has a, uh, uh, you know, Tampa Bay and Carolina, which are fairly nice climates uh, for quarterback play. So it's, it's not a – it hasn't been a difficult division for him to play. A great move, by the way, for him to get in that division – for all these years. But anyway, these other games, and particularly when they play the AFC North, uh, that's a tough year for Drew Brees. Yeah, and when you look at who the Saints have played, their one loss came with the Giants in New York, so an outdoor game where Brees struggled. And then uh, even the Browns went to New Orleans and kept up with them early in the season. Yeah, there you go. So it was the final on that game was 21-18 or something? Yeah. I don't have it in front 20, of me. Yep, yeah. 21-18. So close game, three point game, and and obviously that's a that's a case. And that wasn't that game wasn't even at Cleveland. That was in New Orleans, right? That was in New Orleans. Okay. So, oh, and I don't know why I said the Giants game is when they they lost. They beat the they beat the Giants. Who right, did no they problem. get their loss? I screwed that one up. They're uh, they are the Bucks. four and two right now. Okay, so the Bucks, right. and that was probably probably at Tampa. I'm not sure, but Tampa was off to a great two game start before they went to Pittsburgh. Yeah, it looks like that was in New Orleans. So, huh? But uh, 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 that was definitely when the Bucks were hot because oh. they put up forty-eight points. Yeah, that no, was that was op- that was opening day. That already that dropped me out of the survivor pool. Yeah, no, I blocked that, that one was, out. Of my that head. was opening day exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, no one saw that coming. So all right, and it, uh, it is plug time. So Russell Street Report, your articles up there on the defense. There you go. So uh, you get nice timestamps. I go through a nice review of every single sack. And so if you want to just kind of enjoy it again one more time, take a stroll down memory lane, maybe watch it with your Game Pass subscription or on your DVR. Love for you to go back and, and watch it there. Follow me on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. 
tomorrow night on this show, we'll be recording the Saints preview episode with a an analyst I really respect. I'm uh, sorry, a, 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 a guy named Rev Deuce Windham. Uh, and I've just been introduced to him, but we had a nice long conversation tonight. I love the way he he charts data and uh, and talks about the defense in particular. And he's a big guy in terms of partial credit for uh, pass rush events. So you know we got along right away. So anyway, I, we're we're looking forward to having him, and uh, that'll be tomorrow night. If you have questions on on the Saints game planning or the Saints personnel and scheme in particular, we'll try and have those uh, ready for Deuce Windham. So tell us, uh, Josh, yeah. about let's go. What you got going on now? Yeah, so check, go check out BirdlandSports.com. Lots of podcasts up there, including Film Study and including a brand new Section Three Thirty Six that was also recorded tonight, talking Orioles and Ravens and life. Uh, that's up there, and plus there's some Film Study T-shirts up there now that that we're not making money off of, but people have asked for them, so we've found the way to put them up there as affordable as we can, so you can get them and help support the show and help spread the word. Okay, so it's going to spread the word one shirt at a time, literally walking around Baltimore. And, exactly, and that's the plan. That's, that's wear, fantastic. Wear, wear the shirt to the uh, to the stadium. Yeah, it'll be raining anyway, so you're going to need a shirt to <laughs> change into. Sure. So you'll bring an extra. You might want to get two: one for one for the first half, one for the second half. Deal with the rain. So, all right, Ken. Well, we will talk uh, tomorrow and look ahead to the Saints game. That's good, Josh. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.